Welcome back to Money Minutes for Doctors. I am your host, Christina McAteer, and once again, welcome Catherine Bestness. How are you today, Catherine? Another great day, and I'm really excited to be able to visit with you and all of our podcast listeners about something that's going to help bring them peace of mind. So it looks like our topic today is first and foremost, residential real estate. And I've been thinking about this as we're coming up upon the time of year when a lot of residents are graduating and transitioning into their new lives as fellows or attendings. And that often means changing to a new location and, and potentially buying a house, certainly figuring out when to buy, how much to buy, and and everybody getting sentimental about that forever home are all the things on the minds of our purchasers. So help us understand how to approach this major decision. Excellent. I'm so glad we're talking about this because I've seen more than one doctor make a bad choice up front and it causes a lot of financial pain and can sometimes take 10 years to unwind a bad choice when it comes to uh, purchasing the wrong home. So let's talk a little bit about that. So first of all, let's talk about those residents and fellows, or maybe it's an attending doc that's taking a, a job in a, in a brand new area. So uh, first of all, if you don't, have never lived in this area, this is not your hometown, you don't have relatives there, I really recommend the first year or so in the new place to just rent. Find something inexpensive. Remember our rule that if you are um, getting to be an attending in the first couple of years, if you can live like a resident and fellow for the first few years that you're in attending, your finances are going to be a lot better. So I think that renting right up is a good for a number of reasons. A, it lets you know uh, a little bit more about the area. Neighborhoods that are going to be close to your health club, where you're working, other things that can make life easier. So that's one of the reasons that renting's good. Another is it gives you a chance to recoup financially from those years as a resident and fellow, get your emergency fund built up and get some really good savings going with this new house. And thirdly, we've had a number of clients who are very unhappy with their first job. And when they're stuck with a house, it's really hard for them to find a job in another location because uh, they may have a difficult time selling that house or they may not be able to sell it for what they paid for. So they would lose money. And it really prevents them from seeking better employment uh, when they're very unhappy. Yeah, I think that's an important point because I suspect people will change jobs more often than they think. There's all sorts of statistics published about the length of time that doctors spend in a position, particularly within emergency medicine, and how often they leave their first job. So I suspect if you go to a location thinking this is going to be the rest of your life, and then a year from now you're unhappy, the idea of getting out of a rental lease is much easier than getting out of an owned home. Oh my gosh, exactly. And I had this poor doctor, I gave this same story to him. <laughs> I said, let's just rent. And he moves to like, you know, some remote part of the country. It's true. He got paid a lot for this job, much more than he could have made other places. And he found this fabulous house. Well, well, you're in the middle of nowhere. These fabulous homes are pretty inexpensive. You know, they're 250, maybe $350,000, which if you live on the coast, you're like, oh my gosh, you can buy a shack for that, right? So he's like, I've got to buy this house. I go, really? You want to make sure you're happy there? He goes, no, 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 it's going to be fine. And sure enough, nine months later, he's calling me saying he's really unhappy and he's moving back to the coast. And I think that house probably sat on the market for maybe oh, way over a year, maybe even two years before. He oh, my goodness. Up. 
So he was in that horrible position. He had the new job on the coast, which paid a lot less than the old job in the middle of a flyover country. And so he had less income and he had to have an apartment with a new job and pay the mortgage on the old place. It was really ugly. You do hear those stories of people paying multiple mortgages and I'm thankful that their budget allows for it, but I can't imagine it's a financially beneficial position. It's horrible because if they're paying multiple mortgages, then they can't be saving what they need for the future, which means they have to work longer. And that may be something to talk about with our resident population, as I remember going through residency, which for emergency medicine is typically about four years. And during that time, many of my peers elected to purchase a home or a condo. However, we graduated at the time of the real estate recession, and so it was very difficult for them to unload those properties as they transitioned to their new lives as new attendings. And it was just as you said, they were on the market for months and months um, or even a year or more. And the idea of traveling back and forth to upkeep a property or, or paying a property manager, and then, of course, the stress of just having to have it on the market and carry that budget it really saw the toll that it costs those young residents. It, you're right. Very painful. So when we opened um, the practice in Rhode Island in 2011, we had a lot of residents and fellows then. And every single one of them that owned a home found that it was underwater. Every single one. And it's devastating when you're only making fifty dollars or $60,000 a year to have this house that's underwater because they had to, only two choices. They could sell it at a loss, but that means they had to have cash to come to the table to make up the difference in the mortgage. And they didn't have that because, of course, they're broke, you know, with medical school and so forth. Or they had to rent it out. And in many of those circumstances, they're renting it out and they can't rent it for enough of the mortgage payments. So they still had to pay the difference between the rent and what their mortgage payments were. Not to mention the hassle of managing this property, you know, when they were moved to Atlanta um, and they've still got this property in Rhode Island. It was, it was a difficult situation. And also the reality that taxes are forevermore going up and your utilities are going up. So then when you factor in those bills, I can only imagine how underwater they were. It, it was really painful. I felt so bad for them. But for some reason, I don't know why a resident and fellow would actually be buying a house because you're usually in residency three, four years. I mean, some of them may be five, but that is not enough time in my mind to make sure that you could break even on a house. And let me just explain why for our audience in case they're not aware of that. It, when you get a mortgage on a place, generally speaking, you're payment the first month, let's say it's a 30-year mortgage, is exactly the same as the payment at the end of year 30. At the beginning, though, that payment is almost entirely interest. It's a very little principal. And that goes down over time. So by the end, by the end of 30 years, the payment is almost all principal and very little interest. So it's a declining schedule. But what that means is if you bought a house and wanted to sell it three, four, five years later, you don't have any equity in that house unless you are lucky enough to get into a rising real estate market. So what most people find at the end of three to five years is they don't have any equity in that house. So by the, if they sold it for exactly what they bought it for, they're actually losing money because by the time you take the realtor's fees and closing costs and this, that, and the other thing in there, it's actually costing them money to have that house for those three to five years. 
No, I think that's important information to understand. How long does it take on paying into that mortgage until you can really start to make some gains on building equity in the property? How how many of those first few years are almost exclusively interest? Gradually declines over time. But to give you a rough estimate, because we refinanced my personal residence a couple years ago, and we had been in the house about 15 years. It was like a 30-year mortgage. And I noticed that at the 15-year mark, the payment was roughly half principal and half interest. Wow. So that's a long time and, and really does not equate to a duration of training. No. And also, I think the doctors that are thinking about why well, I want a townhouse or a condo, in a bad real estate market, those are the last to sell. They're much more difficult to sell than a you know freestanding residence. That's interesting and, and excellent information. The argument that I often hear from residents is that they want to purchase because they don't want to take four years of rental income and air quotes, if you will, throw it away. How would you respond to that? Honestly, that is like old thinking. I put that in the category of push taxes into the future because you're going to be in a lower tax bracket when you retire. I mean, that's I hear that all the time, but it's false it's false thinking. So here's my approach to this. You have to pay money to live. I'm sorry, even if you owned your house outright, it still costs you something to live there every month. So we need to be thinking about how does this fit into the budget? We want a, a nice place to live that restores our soul, that we feel comfortable in, where we can rest, relax, enjoy family and friends. But we also don't want to go crazy with this. Because if we, we've got a limited budget, even our doctors are making a million dollars a year or more, still, it's not an infinite amount of money. They still have to be careful with this. So you have to be careful on how it fits in. So one thought is you have to spend money to be able to find a place to live. I'm sorry, there's no, there's no free lunches there. So it, when you run the numbers, it's entirely possible that renting is cheaper than buying the house and losing money on it, or even buying the house and quote, breaking free, because there's a lot of other cost to uh, buying a house that people who've never owned a house have ever thought about that. And Christy, you own houses. What was the big shock to you when you bought your first house? We were fortunate enough to buy within the real estate bubble. So our first home needed renovations beyond belief, and I will forever be in debt to family and friends who helped us fix it up to make it livable. Um, but we bought high, the market collapsed, and then we found out that we were upside down despite investing a significant amount in the property. And now, just as you say, over 10 years later, we're still recovering. Even now, the value may not be where it was when you bought it 10 years ago. And I think that that makes an excellent point is that the assumption is that the American housing market is strong and that the prices will forevermore be rising. But the market correction that we suffered in 2008, I think, was a really rude awakening to the reality of that thinking. And it also makes me question, you can't make that assumption going forward. And so it is, as you say, dangerous to think that if you make an investment that you'll always be able to sell the property for a higher value down the road. Oh, it's a very dangerous thought, and the studies show that it's not true. So I may have mentioned Schiller in a previous podcast, and uh, Schiller is a professor that studies the values of re residential real estate. And he looked at a time period from 1890 in the U.S. to 1990, 
And he found that actually the price of residential real estate only increased with inflation. That's all it did. It didn't have any real rates of return. It just kept up with inflation. Now, you can get pockets of time, as you mentioned, where real estate you know, prices are going up or they're really going down. But when you average it out over the long haul, I don't see that as a quote on air quotes again, investment. I see it as a great place to live. You have to have that. But I don't think of it as a money making project. Usually I've had a couple clients be able to make money and I'll tell you about them as we go along. I would like to hear their stories because I feel you certainly see real estate developers making a lot of money and having a lot of financial success, but I'm not sure if that's really the market that physicians are going to be into. It seems that they're more looking to rental income properties and things of that nature. Well, before I talk about the developers, let me loop back and talk to, I'm now speaking to a younger doctor who's maybe never owned a house. This proposition is going to be far, far, far more expensive than your lender ever will want you to know. And here's some of the things you have to think about. You're probably going to need a lawnmower. You've never had to buy that before. You need a snowblower because you're going to have to do the snowblowing. You're going to have to put in a security system to protect uh, the place. Um, You're not going to like the purple and orange walls that the previous owner had, and you're going to want to paint this ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. You can see how this stuff adds up. And most of our doctors, when they're buying a house, just look at the mortgage payment and compare that to renting a house and go, oh, this is about the same and not take in all these extra costs that you have with owning a house. Well, I think those are wonderful realities to be aware of. And as you're listening to you speak, I'm reflecting back to HGTV, because of course, on those shows, it makes it look like it's a no-brainer, easy task, absolute win-win proposition to go in and to do a investment property. And I would love for you to weigh in and see if you can give us any insights as to how uh, how to rectify the messaging from the TV and if you think that's truly the, the real content in, in our daily lives? Well, I think it makes great TV um, and it's really fun to watch, but it's not really reality. So once again, when you're talking about developers, so I have a close, close friend who is brilliant. I wouldn't call him a developer, but he's brilliant at uh, remodeling, doing decks, all that, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely brilliant. So when the market was going through the roof, like in 07, he's thinking, well, I'm a developer. He's been watching those flip it shows, you know, you flip it. And he, um, he bought a house. And of course, thinking I'm, he does all this work for a living, right? It's easy for him to paint, do all the other things to, to get this house in, in shape. Shortly after he purchased the house and before he, com- he completed the renovations, the market crashed. And he was in a terrible spot because he had invested so much in this property. And by putting all of your eggs in one basket. And if he didn't get that property sold, he was going to be in deep weeds because he's going to have the mortgage on two properties and no rental income for, for this thing. And I thought it was a miracle. He was eventually able to sell it. He didn't make any money. He broke even. And he he was actually happy with that, that he didn't lose his shirt. So I think to your point, Christy, people don't realize how speculative flipping houses is, even for people who are very experienced in doing the work. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's a wonderful thing that he was able to sell it. But then you've definitely seen people have to offload properties quickly and they take huge losses on the property. And I think those dollar amounts 
if you factor that into what an average salary is for a physician, are really hard to rectify. It's oftentimes, you know, tens and tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. And if you're dependent on your physician income to offset that loss, that could be a really hard hole to dig out of. Exactly. So I want to tell you about the two cases I can think of that this actually worked. So one of them was in Seattle, not so much this year, but about two or three years ago, Seattle had an unbelievable housing boom, right? You're just kind of at the right place at the right time. Her mother was a realtor. So she knew when all these houses were coming on the market, could kind of see the distressed properties and she got them into something. They stayed there a couple of years till they finished their residency. And yes, they did make a lovely profit on that house. But once again, it was right place, right time. It was a, it was a fluke, frankly, everything kind of lined up for them. I understand that the Seattle real estate market is not as hot now. I don't think it would work as well today as it did two or three years ago. Uh, the other one I had was a, a lovely doctor and her husband was a realtor. He specialized in the rental real estate market. And on top of this, he was just a very handy guy. He just was Mr. Fix-It around the place. So they bought a, um, they bought a duplex or some people would call it a twin home. And he did the remodeling and the fixing uh, of this up. They managed to rent out the spare bedroom to some other doctor, and they rented out the other unit. And so their actual monthly costs for their mortgage payment, after you subtract all that, was only like $90. I mean, it was or 300 It was something really, really cheap. So in the end, they sold that. Uh, but when I went and I comp- computed how much husband had made per hour while he did the remodeling and the fixing up and so forth, it came to about $9 an hour. And I realized he would have made more money flipping burgers at McDonald's. That's also a very harsh reality to face. And I think that makes a very important point. It makes me, one, reflect back to your previous podcast when you shared your story about wallpapering. And of course, I have to chuckle at that. (laughs) But it also, I think, makes a very salient point in that time is a limited quantity and time is money. So as we've talked about before, you can choose your time doing renovations, but if it's so many hours required and the outcome is is far from guaranteed, it does beg the question, would you be more successful putting that time into your professional job where the money is, is a little bit more stable? Exactly. More stable, easier, and hopefully more fun, because this is what you've chosen to do with your life, and hopefully you're getting more out of it. So if you can remember a previous podcast, we talked about knowing your number, which is how much do you make per hour? And I think that's just a really helpful thing to be thinking about. Just as an aside, as we're recording this, uh, Christy knows that I had taken the last month to recover for some surgery, and I'm not fully back to work yet. I don't know, Christy, if you know this, but Peter and I almost never eat out. I just don't think it's a good use of our money. I know other people do. I'm not blaming them. You know, if you want to eat out, that's great, but you have to have priorities. Eating out is not important to me. I'd rather have good food at home. But since that I'm a little more incapacitated than usual, we've had a couple of times that we ate out. And I'm trying to be very frugal, but I was getting the bill at um, at lunch and it was like $36. And I know everybody's laughing at me because they're probably used to spending hundreds of dollars at dinner. Or I had a dinner and it was like $50 for the two of us to have this dinner. I'm like, oh my gosh. 
So it brought me back to thinking what we had talked about before is how much do you make per hour? If my hourly rate was $100, then it cost me a half an hour to have that to have that dinner. Was it worth it for me to spend a half an hour of my life that I'll never get back for that dinner? And I think you could also be thinking about that when it comes to the housing and the remodeling. Excellent. Well, I think those are good decisions to make. And then, of course, you have to offset that with a sentimental, as you're talking about, of of making a place your home and having it be a, a place of joy and of safety. And those certainly are very important stabilizing factors in your life. And, and I would say really is a must have to offset the stress of being a physician in our modern time. But the financial repercussions of those decisions are there. And, and maybe that's something to even think about as you're preparing to buy furniture for the home or carpeting or something of that nature, questioning what you can make do with and, and if you really need that top priced quality item. Really, really good point. I love how you're thinking about this because a major problem I see with doctors is they buy too much house too soon. And as I mentioned, if you get into a down real estate market and you can't get out of that, you're stuck with those payments. And I've seen it be sometimes five years, 10 years before they can catch up and really start saving. As we've talked about before, because doctors get such a late start in their careers, putting off the savings and investing for the future by five or 10 years can have a devastating impact on your finances. Uh, and the short answer is, if you were thinking you were going to retire at 65, but you couldn't save enough to do that, you may have to work to your 70 or 75 because that house costs so much that it wouldn't allow you to be saving. So that brings us right back to our initial goal of the podcast, which was, <laughs> and I know we got off topic there, how do you decide how much house can you afford? What factors help you make that decision? Okay, so the old rule of thumb that I used to use that you could afford a mortgage two to three times your annual income, assuming you had no student debt. So for a doctor who's making 200000 a year, they could afford a mortgage of four hundred to what 600000 But if they had student debt, they couldn't afford that. And as I started running the numbers for them, I found that actually those numbers were quite high. So the method we use, and we probably talked about this before, is before we have a client buy a house, I actually will sit down and run a budget with them. And this is something I really like doing with clients because it's a big of a reality check, particularly if they've never had a house. They don't know what the utilities are going to be. They have no idea that utilities are likely to be five or $600 a month by the time they add in garbage and water and electricity and all those other things. They're like, wow. They don't know what it costs for a lawn service or a snow removal service. And so I'd like to work backwards then and say, if your goal is to invest X amount for the future for long-term savings and Y for your kid's college, then you can afford a house where a mortgage is between A and B. And I think that really helps get them in a reality check. And so they don't overspend and that life is, becomes a lot easier for them. I think that's great. In fact, Catherine, do you have a checklist or perhaps a listing of expenses that go into owning a home? so that people can start to think about what those costs may be for their area as they consider how much mortgage they can afford? Everybody should take into consideration association fees. These are all over the ballpark. Um, $350 to $500 is not unusual, but if you're going to be in New York or some other place, it could be much, much higher. Um, 
We also look at home equity line of credits because a lot of times people will use their home, the equity in their home to secure a loan. So we want to look at those payments. Furniture. Oh my gosh, this can be crazy expensive when you're getting started. Once again, if you're just getting started with a new home, I strongly suggest consignment stores. I've gotten amazing deals there, really, really cheap. And then over time, you can kind of replace it with things that you uh, that you really, really like. Uh, homeowners insurance is another issue. Household help. Most of our clients don't like to do their own cleaning. Um, so if you've got a cleaner that comes in, we've got to take that into consideration. Internet, the cost of internet. Uh, lawn care, snow removal. And then I have two different types of maintenance, major repairs and like regular ongoing repairs. There's always something that you need there. The mortgage payment, of course, principal and interest. Also real estate tax and homeowners insurance. And then a few of our clients have landlines, not many. Uh, so we have telephone costs and then all the utilities that are out there, you know, garbage removal, water, electricity, etc. So those are some of the main areas that you want to make sure that you consider in your budget. Excellent. And I will also highlight the fact that tax rates are published. So when you have narrowed down your area of interest to purchase, you can then go online and find tax rates for the municipalities and perhaps choose one that has a lower tax rate with the amenities and location that you desire so that you're not spending a lot of money on taxes each year as those bills add up really fast. Exactly. I had a friend of mine from high school who became an anesthesiologist here in Minneapolis, and he had a house on the lakes here. And I did not realize that the real estate taxes on the lakes were like sky high. Who knew that? That much more than if you were not on the lake. He actually sold his house because he didn't want to pay the real estate taxes anymore. So you're right. But I would say there's another thing that I'd like our clients to really be thinking about when they're buying this house. It's very rare that I can find a young, new attending that can get the house of their dreams. So keep in mind that you're probably buying something that's a starter home for the next five or 10 years. When you talk about the house of your dreams, that's a dangerous game to play because the real estate agents tend to show you homes that are way outside of your price range. And of course, they show them to you and they feature everything beautiful. And you say to yourself, who wouldn't want this? But then when you look at your budget and see what you can afford, sometimes that decision becomes really challenging. And I do see people get themselves to to a little bit of trouble because they see the beautiful home. They want it so desperately. They decide to go for it, even though it really does not fit their budget, thinking that they'll cancel out other expenses. That becomes very hard to do. And before you know it, they're in a really uncomfortable budgetary situation and you see them struggling each month. You've hit the nail on the head. That really describes it well. The real estate taxes can vary a lot. So particularly in states like uh, Texas and Florida that don't have any state income taxes, the real estate taxes tend to be higher. So it's definitely something to, to take into consideration. Now, and these taxes may not be as deductible as they once were before, as they were under the new tax laws. And just help me understand, are the real estate taxes higher in that they would offset what you would pay if you were facing both real estate and income tax? Or does it really become an unfavorable amount of, of 
real estate tax? I think you're usually ahead. I've never actually run the numbers on this. So this is kind of my gut think, thinking is that you're usually ahead to be in a state with no state income taxes. And part of it is the house, house you buy is totally voluntary. You can, to your point, you can find a nice house in a, in a good neighborhood with lower taxes or a less of a house is going to have less real estate taxes. So that to me is, makes it voluntary or the income tax is not voluntary. If you're making the income, you're going to have to pay the tax. And for better, for worse, like real estate taxes, income taxes only seem to go up as well. Yes. Some of our doctors got a big savings in this most recent tax bill. But I think you're right. Going forward, I only see them going up, particularly with the deficit. Absolutely. Now, there's another thing I'd like people to think about when they're buying this house, and that is schools, public schools. Once again, yes, doctors, compared to the rest of the population, make more money than the rest of the population. And another area I see doctors get into trouble is thinking that they need to send their children to private schools. Once again, Rhode Island, because you and I both live there. If we take Rhode Island into consideration, one of the doctors came to me recently and said that they a few years ago they had only four National Merit Scholars. And one of them came from a private school, but the others were from public schools in the state of Rhode Island, which I thought was very, very interesting. So private high school, elementary school at the best schools in Rhode Island runs 35000 a year. So keep in mind that a doctor would probably have to be earning 50000 or more to be able to pay the tax on it and then send those kids to private school. And if that's the important thing for you, you should do that. But if you're more lukewarm about this, I would strongly recommend buying a house in a neighborhood that's got a really, really strong public school. And you will save a lot of money, um, much more, even if you're paying a little bit more for the house, uh, what you save on having your kids go to public schools versus private is significant. Excellent point, And one of the things that's on my mind, so I'll give you a scenario in that I have a friend of mine who knew that she wanted a family. She targeted the town with the best public school system because she knew the cost of private tuition and and wanted her children to be able to go to public schools. And she began looking for homes in that town. Now, not surprisingly, the prices of the homes were rather high because there was such desirability there, primarily due to the value they had in the school system. She ended up finding something that was in her price point, perhaps not her desired house, but in her price point, purchased the house, sent her kids to school, had the benefit and all as well. And I would compare that to an alternate story of someone who purchased a house in a different town where the school system was not as good and then eventually had to pay to relocate, i.e. pay the realtor fees, closing costs, etc., for the new purchase, and now is in that desired township, but had those extra steps in getting there, I would dare guess the second scenario was a more costly way of getting there, and I would love to hear your input on that. Well, that really reminds me of a couple situations I've had with a number of doctors that are putting kids through the private school. Here's what they'll normally tell me. Per child, let's just figure it's 3000 a month just for the private school. Now, that doesn't include the after-school activities or all those other things. And I'll say, gosh, you need to be saving X to get to retirement. And they go, well, you know, we've got to put the kids through private school and private college, and then we'll start saving. I go, okay. 
So I do the plan based on the fact that they're really not saving much while the kids are in high school and college. But then once the minute that child gets out of college, they're going to be saving seven, ten thousand a month because that's what it's going to be taking in order for them to retire on time, right? It's a huge amount there. And they're like, oh, no problem. We'll have no problem. Every one of my clients who said that to me when the time came, kids are out of college, don't want to start savings. They felt like they've been putting the kids through school for so long that now is the time that they want to take the trips or do other things. Yes, it takes discipline to save. And that's a hard price to pay, especially when you've been paying for so, so long. It is. And so I've learned when we're dealing with a situation, I tell them these stories because I've never seen it work, is let's try to set a little bit aside now. So at least you get some compound interest going through these years and recognize that if you if you don't want to save later, that's okay. But it does mean you're going to have to work longer. Yes. All the choices that life demands. Exactly. Yes. Uh, as we say there's, there's good news and bad news with every one of these choices. And once again, my job is not to tell clients to don't put your kids through private school because that's important to them. I want them to do that. I just want them to understand the consequences of doing that. And if they're fine with the consequences, great. Excellent. So in summary, it sounds like when you're ready to make that purchase, do a thorough budget analysis so you can really understand what you can afford, really understand the associated costs of home ownership. And then also when you're narrowing down the township in which you wish to purchase, make sure that you have a good understanding of the taxes that you'll be responsible for, as well as any other associated fees for that property. Does that summarize it accurately, Catherine? Fabulous summary. I love that about you. You summarized so well. I would add a couple of other things. If you're, if you're starting out, uh, get your eyes on more of a starter home. Don't get... As my grandma used to say to me, my eyes, when it came to eating, that my eyes were bigger than my stomach so that I'd always have some food left over. You want to get your eyes down on something that you can actually afford and draw a hard limit at that top line and make sure your realtor is not showing you things over that line so that you're only looking at things that are in your price range. I agree with you there. I know the realtors are tempted to sell you above your budget because it benefits them, but I would draw a really hard line and resist looking at it because, of course, you're going to want it. That's just human nature. Exactly. All right. Well, I think there's a lot of great content here. I do feel we should definitely delve into the real estate investment side of things a bit more. But for now, Catherine, let's wrap it up as our podcast listeners have busy lives and we will look forward to tuning in next time. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. All right. Well, thank you, Catherine. And thank you, listeners. We appreciate you spending a little bit of your day with us. We certainly look forward to you joining us next month. But from now, I'll say take care.